Hello, bonjour, and welcome to the podcast version of Source Story, a video series for history teachers. Each episode of this series features a conversation around a primary or secondary source that teachers can use in their classrooms. Given that the original version of this conversation was held in English, so too is this podcast episode. Watch the video, available on YouTube, to see the details of each source, and visit our website, sourcestory.ca, for resource links and lesson activities. Hello everyone, bonjour tout le monde, my name is Dr. Samantha Cotrera, and I am the Principal Storytelling Officer for the Histoire Source Source Story Video Series, a video series for Canadian history teachers, where I talk with historians and archivists and creators and photographers and artists hint, hint, about one primary or secondary source. And we talk about the questions, what is the source? What is the story? And how can using this in your classroom challenge Canadian history? That is the most important question that we want to answer in this series, because we don't just want our kind of normal, traditional narratives um, replicated in the classroom with just like different primary sources. We want to use these different sources to tell new, different stories in our classrooms and have students ask new, different, bigger, more challenging questions about them and the Canadian past and about the Canadian present because of them. As always, I am so excited to have today's speaker, but before I get into that, just a reminder that you can access this in French or in English through our subtitles. So I'm speaking in English, obviously, but there are full French subtitles below, as well as English subtitles if you'd prefer to, uh, to have the text um, in front of you in either French or in English. Also, please join the conversation, comment below about whether or not you use this in your classroom, these ideas, or if you have, especially if you have different ideas of how to use this source in your classroom. So join, uh, join the conversation, um, uh, make some comments below about how you're using this in the classroom. Follow us on all of our social media handles and websites and we're trying different things and let us know what you prefer, but we are there and we are excited to interact with you on them. And look, I know you're busy. I know that this has been a year, in a, in a year, in a decade, in a millennium, in a two-year <laughs> period. Like, I know everything has been so crazy, you know, since 2020 started. Um, but I appreciate you spending some time and watching this. And I'm hoping that this will give you some ideas about ways to do some cumulative assignments with your students as we move into the end of the school year. So let's get right into it. Let me tell you the three reasons why I'm very, very excited about today's speaker. Um, we are talking with um, Amanda Carvery-Taylor. She is a photographer, she's an artist, and she is a community member of Africville. Um, if you are familiar with the name Carvery, you might know it from any sort of Africville um, history and research that you've done. It is really exciting to be able to have a conversation today with not a historian, not an archivist, not a curator, but an artist. Um, and we're going to be talking about her book, A Love Letter to Africa, uh, Africville, Africa, A Love Letter to Africville. The second reason why I'm very excited that we are talking about this source today is because so often when we are teaching 
different kind of like historical events. We are teaching them in this like little, what I call a historic space, like a little bubble, 1950s, 1960s, you know, everything just kind of stays in this bubble. We don't think too much about what happened before, what after, happened after. And what this book does is that it is a series of oral history interviews with people who have roots in Africville, but they are current um, oral history interviews with current photography, like, like these wonderful, buoyant, joy, joyful love letters, uh, the text, like it is such a wonderful way to think about this, to think about Africville that we often just kind of keep in the 1960s and think about those connections, those community building connections in the present as well. So that's second reason why I'm so excited about this talk today is because we're not just keeping history in the past, we are showing the legacy of Africville. This is Betty. We are showing the uh, legacy of Africville all the way in the present as well. And that is very exciting. The third reason why I'm excited about this is because in talking with a photographer and um, a community member, it's just funny. Yep. Hi, Betty. <laughs> um, in talking with a photographer and a community member about the oral histories and the photographs that she did, all I can think of is what a wonderful assignment to do um, with your own students, to get them to create oral histories, either in their community, geographic community, social, cultural community, and pair it with photographs and have the students through their oral histories link um, link the present to the past. And I really, it's really exciting to have that conversation where we get to mobilize the past in this way, because that is all of what I'd like to do. I love to activate the past for the, for youth so that they can really think about what they need in the present and the future in order to go forth for a more equitable and transformative world. So with that aside, I cannot wait to talk with Amanda um, and I can't wait to talk about this book. It is such a love letter to Africville. Now, most of the sources that we talk about uh, are sources that are available online. This is a book that you can get at any of your local booksellers or like big booksellers. So make sure you check that out. Um, have I missed anything? Make sure you like and subscribe and comment um, for Betty's sake, if not mine, obviously. Um, Thank you as always for watching and let's go over to Zoom and meet Amanda. Amanda, thank you so much for agreeing to be part of our new video series. I'm so excited to talk about a love letter to Africville and to talk about your work, like both doing oral histories and the photography of it all. Um, as I was saying to kind of what one of our mutual friends, it's like history plus art plus like activism is just exactly what I want from this series and it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Um, before we get started, would you like to introduce yourself? Um, my name is Amanda. Hi, I'm very glad to be here today um, and thank you so much for inviting me. Uh, and I am a uh, photographer slash author slash doula slash a bunch of other things that I just enjoy doing. Um, but basically, if it's about community, I'm trying to get in there. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's great. Thank you. It's um, we did another video, um, the Buxton Museum, uh, and we talked so much about community there and how important it is for 
black settlement in the 19th century, but also the 18th and how that goes through the 20th and 21st century to today. And so that's really cool that we're going to have that string of community. So, so again, thank you for <laughs> participating in the series, but I'm, I'm excited to kind of bring up those themes um, in relation to each other. So the source that we're talking about is your, your book. I'm trying to get a good way to there we go. <laughs> a love letter to Africville. Do you want to tell us a little bit about this as a book, as a project, um, before we get into like some of the kind of big content in it? Yeah. Um, so uh, it began as um, actually I, I just went to a, one of our reunions and was like, I have a camera. You guys do not take enough pictures of each other. Our elders are aging. Uh, this is a problem for me. So I'm just, I'm here if anybody wants a photo. And I ended up getting like yanked in every direction so badly that I didn't even get anybody's name. Um, and so I, I was sitting with those and trying to figure out what to do with them and how to get them back to the community. And a friend from Ennisburg, um, which is Nova Scotia Public Interest Research Group, they uh, suggested putting them into a book for the museum to keep. Um, so that people could go into the museum and see kind of this like book of, of all the people in, on, uh, in Africa kind of thing. And um, that kind of just evolved into, you know what, we should have gotten their names and some stories in there. <laughs> and then, uh, and then I, I, uh, in conversations, actually in conversations with Claudine, um, she was saying, you know, how how great this would be as a whole book and I was like yeah that's kind of a, a nice idea but I really try to avoid a lot of negative things um, and I, I'm always like focused on happiness and so I was like I think there's room for a different view of Africville here um, so I'm only going to focus on the love that we have in Africville and trying to get these happy memories out because we've already heard lots of sad things we already know that stuff um, so I, yeah, that was, that was my project. I got an elders involved and everybody was super excited. So it just came together really nicely, really organically. Yeah. The, so, um, the book is a, like a collection of both the, the photographs that you talked about and then like these little oral histories. And when you are just like flipping through the book, like that joy, that love letter is like so prominent and when you said Claudine I'll just say it's a uh, uh, Claudine Bonner who is the who wrote the introduction she's a scholar in Nova Scotia as well and um, I think it does make sense for a book and like yes in a museum but this is a way that we can bring those stories to all of Canada and not just people that are visiting or live in Halifax um, especially since not many of us are doing a lot of traveling these days yeah uh, one of the things I never thought about when I was creating the book was how much this would mean to people who are from our community but have mm -hmm. moved out somewhere else in the world and can't get home all the time to sit with these elders. And these elders are not on Facebook and they're not, you know, sharing pictures every day the way that younger people are. So we really miss out on seeing our elders and, and being with them when we move away from home. So. I, I got a lot of feedback that was explaining how much it meant to, to people to get this and be able to look at their family members or community members 
and uh, see the faces, hear the stories kind of thing. It's just a really nice thing for them as well. I'm sure actually that during COVID, like the weight of being able to like to see the stories, to see the photographs, to, to like see this place for community, to have this love letter, probably like uh, was even more meaningful to people that aren't living in Africville or in Halifax or Nova Scotia right now because of COVID. Um, like the timing of, of pub the publication. Like I know um, I, I spoke with a professor a couple years ago in my first video series and she was talking about like this is a good chance to start doing those oral histories because we're all home and we're realizing the power of connections even more. But your project didn't had nothing to do with COVID. That's just when when it was published, right? Yeah, yes. Um, but when it came out, we were actually like we hadn't had our our reunion that we have every year, and that's where everybody gets to see each other. So everybody was like, "Oh my." God. Goodness, this is perfect because we haven't had a reunion and I miss everybody so bad <laughs> so, so it was nice that we could all kind of get together in there yeah definitely so one of the key elements of this video series is to talk about how we can use a source like this oh that's we are non-archival cat visitors up there um, how we can use a source like this to challenge how we normally think of Canadian history and how we normally teach Canadian history and for me there's so many kind of lessons that I think of right away are there you know you had said a little bit in your first answer about you know you, we hear all these negative things and I wanted to bring in the love and the joy of Africville can you see a teacher using this in their classroom to be able to kind of to challenge those traditional kind of sad narratives of Africville I really hope that people do. Um, I know that when I was growing up here, going to school, I like I can literally remember the day I went to school. We we were going to learn about Africville, and I was like, "Yes, this is my dad's community. I am into it. Like I know everything about Africville. I'm going to rock this class." And then the things that they talked about were all, all like the city dump that was by uh, around Africville. There was a slaughterhouse, there was an infectious disease hospital, and there was a prison. And, you know, they say all, it was an eyesore, it was this, it was that, and everybody, you know, they didn't have running water, so we needed to get them out of there. And it really makes it sound like um, like people were done a favor by relocating Africville. And that's how they tried to sell it uh, to the, the people of Africville at the time. Um, but that's not what everybody feels in Africville. And what I, I what I see in Africville is like the, the ties with the community because I've only ever been to reunions. I, I didn't live there myself, but um, I was just like, I can remember being a kid like, uh, this doesn't sound like the same place that I go in the summer that is all happiness and, you know, running around with my cousins and everybody gets to see each other and stuff. So um, I really grew up with this like kind of difficult position where whenever we talked about communities I was like but what about the community you know what about them what about the people like it's not just you know a place it's not just this little landmass that nothing happens on this is where people have their lives and, and uh, we kind of gloss over those things um, because every single person in that 
book said they would give anything to go back and live in Africa. They would just give it all up. The nice houses that they have, the, they were like, nope, I can go back to it, no problem. It's like, wow. So that says a lot to me. For sure. It, it really struck me too in how like in the oral histories, people would mention the things that we often will hear about, like the dump or the train tracks, like going through the community. But it's just like, well, that was the thing, but then also the church, and then often like this version of Girl Guides. And then also like, I taught my mother cursive from the school I went to. Like, it was just like all of these other stories that made something so much more like relatable because you can think of those kind of elements in your childhood or that's familiar. But I think because of how we talk about Africa, it can seem so unlike so many of our experiences, especially because like it was destroyed in the way it was that we forget that humanity and we forget the, <laughs> the generations and the community. It was really beautiful to be able to hear those stories and like see these like beautiful pictures attached to it to like really put you know, faces and experiences to this place um, that's often, you know, like uh, gets a little call out box in a textbook. Yeah, I know. It's, it's, and it's like, I, I really wanted people to see what I see in my community and I see nothing but beauty and happiness. I do know there's lots of sadness that happened in Africa. Uh, lots of bad things. I understand that. Um, there was death there was things uh, that made the community very sad, but they overcame anything um, together. And as long as they had each other, everybody was fine. So um, I really wanted people to get that sense of, of how united they were and you know the, the love that was between them and how they got through life every day, right? Yeah. Well, and since you approached this project, because I don't think you would call yourself a historian, right? No, <laughs> it's it's fine. I know. That, was, I just... <laughs> that was no judgment. I was like, oh, I don't want to. In case you were like, no, I also consider myself a historian because you approach this project as a photographer and as a member of the community and not a historian. I think like the elements that we see um, are so rich and full of meaning. So why don't we take a look at some of the photographs and maybe you can like share some of the oral histories that you got from them, or even stories maybe that didn't make it into the book? Oh, my dear, there's so many. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's flip to one of the photographs. So what's great about the book is that there's like a series of formal portraits with the oral histories, and then there's like a section at the back of photographs from the reunion, and then there's also some uh, restored like archival photographs from people's collections. This was one of the pictures from the reunion, right? Like it has so yeah. much joy in it. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So this is actually my dad um, and his best friend from childhood. Um, they hadn't seen each other since they were kids. Uh, actually, when she moved away, I think was was the last time they really saw each other. And, um, you know, at the reunion, you're just kind of walking around, hanging out with the family. You see someone, you stop, and, you, you know, there's lots of things to do. Uh, so we were just standing, you know, out in the, the open space um, talking. And uh, Denise saw us and just came running, like made a beeline right for my dad and was screaming his name. 
and they just embraced and they sat like this for a good few minutes uh, while the tears were streaming down both their faces and um, then when when they let go she was explaining to us how much he meant to her in childhood how he was the person who took her everywhere who did everything with her who her mom would allow her out with because she didn't want her, her child to get in trouble or get into anywhere that they weren't supposed to be. So my dad would supervise. Um, and, and they just, like, this is what I hope people understand what, is what we lost in Africville. Mm. It's not the land. It's not the buildings. It's this right here. Um, we lost each other. And we don't have that kind of connection anymore. So... And when your father's uh, former best friend moved away, was it because they knew that these changes that were going to be out of control or out of their control um, were coming? Yeah, they knew uh, that, you know, people were starting to leave. It was just a few at first and her family uh, moved to Toronto because they, they didn't think it was going to be suitable to live anywhere else here. So. Mm. You know, when I go to family reunions often, and there are people that haven't seen each other in a while, there's often this point where they start talking about like a story and then they'll just like talk over each other to tell all these like different elements of the stories. When you were like engaging or like just witnessing some of these reunions, were you hearing some of those kind of like refracted stories, those stories from all these different perspectives, like the layering of of experiences yeah I mean we always we always do that and I'm always uh, I've always been a person that loves to sit with my elders and hear stories um, just always enjoyed that but uh, I actually did the sessions in small groups for most of them um, so that they would have that back and forth because it's, it's like we remind each other of this, these things that happened and then it sparks another story and um, I just wanted them to have that, to, to you know, just sit around like a, a group of people having a cool conversation, nice and relaxed, and just sharing these memories. Um, so it worked really well. Uh, everybody had lots of fun. They were like, this is, you know, like a mini reunion here, just to sit around with everybody, right? So it was really beautiful. But yeah, they, they totally inspire each other and, and start feeding off each other. Why <laughs> so don't we go over... Sorry, you were saying? No, I was just saying it does get rough to, to make sense of when you're listening to the recordings. <laughs> right, you're like, oh, wait, whose story was that? <laughs> yeah. um, why don't we go over to one of the more formal photographs um, to show, like, the similarities in, like, pulling up this, like, love that you get with this candid photograph, but in the more formal setting. So let's go over to a different photograph. So I pulled up one of the formal photographs of Bernice. Do you want to introduce her a little bit? This is Bernice Arsenal. And uh, she is someone, if you've ever been to a reunion, if you've ever been to an Africville function, you will have seen her face. Uh, she does so much for our community. So, so very much. I, I can't even begin to explain to you guys. Um, but she's very short with her words. And... Uh, <laughs> You know, she she does things quickly because um, she's always got another thing to, to go work on. Uh, but yes, she's she's an absolute delight. And um, I was insisting I get a photo of her. And so she gave me this one. 
uh, and then she insisted her her stories just be uh, what she that's what she wanted to know or wanted people to know about Africa. So, so a lot of the well, as you know, Amanda, a lot of the stories are like a couple paragraphs long, right? Like they're actually a really good length for for students to 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 read. It's just another little comment, but uh, Bernice's is like two lines long. <laughs> And like, like, again, the same photograph, which is amazing. And she says, sitting here reminds me of what Africville means to me, family, community, and church. The Africville spirit lives on. And like, it's just to the point and it meet, like, there's so much there. Yeah. And that's, that's who Bernice is. Um, she's, if you, if you've ever talked to her, she's very quick and she's like, She's always trying to like fundraise for Africville. So she comes through the reunion with the t-shirts and she's, she just looks at you and goes, you didn't get a t-shirt here. You go. Yeah. And you're like, uh, I didn't say I wanted to buy one. And she's like, yeah, it's this much. And you're like, uh, okay, I'll just, so she does like, she'll, she gets all the fundraising done, uh, but she's just very short with her words and quick and uh, gets right in there before you even know it, she's gone. So. And like, it's such a good reminder of the fact that there are fundraising efforts, there are efforts for the museum, there's efforts for restoration, and like, there's people that are working so actively for this, right? Like, again, we often talk about Africville, and it just like stops, everyone dispersed, and it stops, but the community still lives on trying to bring that spirit, like, to the fore, but also to maintain it, and that's I, like you get all that in like her photograph and her couple lines. I think that that spirit and that energy. Yeah, yeah, we uh, we're still going strong, and it's folks like Bernice that keep us connected with each other. Um, you know, always making calls and getting us organized for functions and things. So it's a lot of work, but it's so worth it um, when you get to be around everyone. And, you know, yeah, there, there are still fundraising things uh, in Africville. Um, one of the royalties for my book, I've donated to the Africville Scholarship Fund um, because I wanted to encourage our next generation. Uh, we have lots of youth coming up here and, you know, we, we want everybody to get ahead and um, be able to do their dreams, so. It's a powerful message about the importance of of appreciating community in the past, present, but then really ensuring that the future is thought about in those conversations too. So the one kind of formal photograph that we saw was outside and you were saying that it was in Africville and here's another one of the formal photographs, but it's not outside. Do you want to tell us a little bit about Melvin? <laughs> like, and just like the energy of this photograph? Oh. He's so sweet. Um, so I did, a, uh, one of the small groups that I did was at my great aunt's home. Uh, and it's the same home that she moved to when Africa was raised. Uh, she left the community, bought a house like kind of just down the streets, just like outside of Africa. And she still lives there to this day. It's just you know, we we went over to her house and we started talking about memories and everybody starts telling their stories and, uh, you know, it's just a lot of laughter and a lot of fun. Like everybody really enjoys talking about these kinds of things. Um, so we were just having a ball talking and listening to stories and 
uh, Mr. Carter was just laughing his head off, having a great time. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think like you have kind of, you know, very like serious kind of speaking pictures here, but then I love how the next two pages it, are just these lovely <laughs> candid laughing photographs. Um, yeah. Because again, it's like just that you can see the conversations happening. Yeah, that's what I wanted people to to see is like, you know, we're not sitting around just talking about these with sad faces and very formally. We're laughing, we're having fun, we're remembering and reminiscing and, you know, it's just a, a really great time. So. Um, when he writes, um, growing up, there were a lot of things to do. We pitch horseshoes, play baseball or pick blueberries. I like to go fishing. There was a bonfire. A lot of people went eeling. I didn't do it myself. Like it's, it, there's so much like sensory elements that we can get from these stories. And uh, it just seems like such rich childhoods that, you know, you can bring all these things. So uh, it's great that you were able to get that in both the photographs and the stories. So the book also had some archival photographs that were donated to you for the book, or are they part of public archives? Uh, those are actually from people's personal uh, collections. Um, I didn't get a lot of people willing to show their their private photos kind of thing, but uh, I have restored many, many more that, that people, um, I, like I will restore anything for the community uh, just so they can have, even if they don't, they don't want to share it. Um, I do offer my portraits as well uh, for any elders because I just want us to have these the documentation of them. Um, and I know that photography wasn't a popular thing back when Africville was around. So it's kind of just an effort to like preserve what we have. Um, but yeah, this is, this is uh, my aunt Elaine. This is probably one of the only photos we have of her this young kind of thing. <laughs> It's a great, yeah. um, it's a great photograph. And it's also like a great dress. Like I just, yeah. I just really appreciate it. Like how the lines match up on that plaid. Like that's one of yeah. the like, main things I love about this photograph. And I, I, I'm assuming that like she or maybe a family member made this dress. Uh, yeah, I would probably assume, but I'm not sure. I'm not a hundred percent on that. I find that in a lot of photographs from this time, there are all these kind of stories attached to clothes in a different way, I think, than now, because a lot of people did make their own clothes. And so I, I'm just kind of assuming those stories on this really great photograph. I love this book, um, both for the stories, the photographs, but also the fact that that you can learn from it, like in terms of learning about this time period in Africville, like in the, the mid 20th century, um, like the experiences of Africville in the mid 20th century, and then think about it in the present as well. But I also really love this book because I think it really demonstrates the power of oral histories and photography and getting people to tell these stories. And so I think teachers can use it as a, like a teaching support, but also as like a support for learning activities. Do you maybe want to talk a little bit about how maybe a teacher could model some of the work that you've done, like the oral histories um, uh, and photographs 
as maybe like an assignment or activity in their own class and like the importance of it? Um, so the importance I think is, I think it's very important to hear different sides. Um, and so I, like when I was growing up, I really, really questioned what the source I was getting this information from and what was their intention. Um, so, you know, I'd look at the information about Africa and it kind of all went back to, you know, the city and what the city wanted people to think about it and wanted people to know. And, um, and it, doesn't, it, it doesn't actually reflect the accuracy in the community. Uh, some of the things people were telling me is, is how many non-Black people lived in Africa. Um, and that's not a common thought. People didn't really, you know, people always associate it. It's just a Black community there. It's only Black people that live there. And that was very far from the truth. Um, and so I just, I, I really hope that there's room for people to look around, uh, see what other sources they can find. Um, and as often as you can, go directly to the source. These people are still alive. They're still here. You know, we can go talk to them. There's no reason that we can't call them and ask if they'd like to come in and speak to a class. Um, I know Beatrice Wilkins absolutely loves doing that. She is a storyteller. Beatrice is a very talented storyteller. She has me laughing so hard. I, I tell her all the time, like, you're my best friend. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's just, you know, I, I always find it strange when people talk about Africa, like it was very far away, and like, there's yeah. not resources to find more information on. Um, because we're just there, we're just hanging out, you know, yeah. anybody can come to a reunion, come on through. It's It's great. It's a, it's a wonderful time. Nobody's going to question you because of your race or anything that when you're there they're they're going to say hey how are you what's your name we don't know each other um and they're just going to hang out and talk like it's it's just a wonderful thing um and i i do like the oral side of it because i find we get a lot of stories that won't be written down i find when you ask these folks to write something down they're like oh what do i want to put in writing you know what do I want people to know? But when we're talking, we hear these these lovely stories and I let everything out. And uh, if you listen to the tapes from my interview sessions, you'd hear how often they say, oh, but don't put that in the book. You know, <laughs> they tell me a story. And, no, no, but don't put, don't put that in there. Like, oh, okay. Um, but there's lots of, of things about the community that we just don't even think of, you know, when you think of this community and and that there was poverty and, and there wasn't uh, indoor plumbing and things like that. They had boil water orders. And you think, oh, that's, this must have been horrible. And they're like, no, nah, you boiled your water and then you went and played. You had all your family around you. It was wonderful. <laughs> so. And like to set, up, to set up a situation in which you're like, let's talk about the joy. Let's talk about the spirit let's just tell stories like that takes off so that brings so much to our learning when we aren't even going in with the like specific goal of like now tell me about the past right it's like yeah. now let's just let's hear about what this community was about and then from that we will learn like it, it's such a different way of going into kind of listening to these stories mm -hmm. and i find you get to know these people that are in the book 
um, by reading their stories and that will tell you about the community, you know? Yeah, yeah. When you when you realize how involved um, Bernice Flint is in the church, you know, uh, after she left Africville, her and her husband were doing prison ministries. They were, you know, preaching all over the place and, and they sing and everything with it. It was just amazing. Um, but you get that feeling of how involved she is just from her stories there about the church and how she speaks about it. And, you know, then you get to know her and then you get to know what Africville was like. It's not just these things. It was this, this uh, church where events were really grand, really extravagant and um, often like they were, they were doing these things frequently and having everybody from other communities come to Africville for things. And so, it's a it's a different way to look at it, at the community, you know. Yeah. Well, I can't wait to hear how teachers take up this as a source for teaching and learning and modeling how to do these histories in their classrooms. And I just feel so thankful to be able to have this conversation with you, Amanda. Um, I think it's like just so cool to like, I think it's such a cool project and to be able to think of all the dimensions is really excellent. I love the fact that the photograph behind you is on the cover of the book. <laughs> that's, that's my favorite one. That's the, uh, that's from my aunt Pinky. Uh, she, that's an actual baptism happening in Africa. And she's actually in that photo on the cover. My, yeah, the, she's in the book, uh, for a formal photograph, but she's on the front there. Um, it's really hard to see her, but here I'll show you. This is um, this is her formal photograph, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And then so these two people here, the one with the bonnet on is yes. Pinky, and then the man next to her is her husband Ernest, and and they were very very young. She's got her two year old with her uh, next to her on the rock. She's very short, but. <laughs> That's awesome. That's so fantastic. Like, that's really cool. Yeah. So it's like, you know, we actually see that. And so when she's telling me, you know, uh, that, yeah, there's, there was definitely white people in Africville. Oh, you should have seen how many white people would come to our baptisms. Like they would all come down for the baptisms. And I'm like, really? And, you know, she's, she's, she pulls out this picture and up on the, the shore there, you can see um, those are the white people that are coming yeah. to watch and, and yeah. enjoy it yeah yeah, yeah. inside you can yeah. see a little more but <laughs> yeah no that's really cool um well thank you so much Amanda is there a way that people can get in touch with you if they wanted to know more about maybe fundraising efforts I will put the links to the different Africville stuff on the website but is there a way that people can get in touch with you um I use Instagram under the handle Seeking Joy, but J-O-I, which is my nickname. Uh, a lot of people <laughs> don't really know that, but um, yeah, so it's, uh, I, I do use that, and um, you can always email the publishers as well. Uh, they get in touch with me, with me if you need anything, and um, yeah, I just, I really hope people, you know, use this as a, a different side of what you're hearing about Africa because it emphasizes why we're so sad at losing our community. Um, it's, it's all about love, but it explains the bad in it with just by saying, you know, we don't have this anymore. Yeah, and I really loved how you said that in our conversation today about like 
like this is what got lost. It's not the buildings. Like this is what got lost. And um, but what you also see is how much still remains. And I think this project is such a huge part of that. And I hope people are able to use it as a tool in their classroom to continue those conversations. So thank you so much for speaking with me today. Thank you. Thank you. And have a great uh, rest of the afternoon. Thanks. Bye. This series is a collaboration between Historic Spaces, an educational consultancy, and Glennon College York University. This series has been made possible by the Government of Canada.